Before my friend became a Christian, you could talk to him. He was normal. Now every conversation is condemning something about my lifestyle. All he does is keep telling me all the things I'm doing wrong. I can't believe the church has turned him into this kind of negative person. I hate working on Sundays because that's when the Christians come in. I feel like I'm a project around my friends who are Christians. Why would I go to a church? They've already thrown heaps of guilt on me and condemned me before I've even stepped my foot in the door. Christians are so opinionated. The church is full of just a bunch of angry people. Church people think that they have all the answers and are more than willing to give them to you whether or not you ask for them. I feel like I have to fit into their mold before I'm really welcome in the church. The church is judgmental and negative. Christians are hard to tolerate. I don't know how Jesus does it. If all of that is true, if that's a, the way people perceive the church, then the church is in trouble. I'm just glad no one ever says those kinds of things about us in our church. This is a sermon today about other churches, other people. Okay, just so you know that. You know, it is kind of frustrating sometimes. Because we can't control everything people, everything people perceive about the church. People perceive things about the church because of what they see in the media, because of what they hear from the loudest voices. And it's frustrating because we are as uncomfortable with some of those things as they are. But all we can do is try to be a witness, try to represent Christ where we are, with the people in our lives. And that is our calling. Jesus says to his disciples, one of the last things he tells them is, you will be my witnesses. You will represent me to the world. And it feels like, it feels like far too often, we're not doing as well at that as we should. Why is it that we give people so many reasons to perceive the church negatively. What exactly are we doing? How are we making that happen? I, I think sometimes it's because we're, we're more interested in, in our agenda than we are with connecting with people where they are. When I look at, at Paul in Acts 17, he goes to Athens and he walks around the city and he sees all the idols and he's appalled and he's deeply disturbed by it. And then when he meets with the people there, he doesn't say to them, look, you people are idiots. What is wrong with you people? You're all, you're all going to hell. You're all sinners with all these idols. No, he goes to them and says, I can see that you all are very spiritually minded people. It's obvious to me that, that, that the spiritual condition of your lives is important to you. 
you, you have idols and shrines, and, and you're concerned about worshiping all over the place. And in fact, I saw one idol with the inscription to the unknown God. And I want to talk to you about that. I think I have an answer for you about that. And some of them believe, some of them don't. But we can see in that one moment how Paul connects with them where they are instead of trying to, uh, to get them to come to him. To start with where he is, he starts with where they are. And I think sometimes we, we have this mindset with people that, that they are um, sort of a project instead of a relationship. And even sometimes when we, when we enter relationships with people, there is an ulterior motive. It's not because we just want to be friends, but it's because we want to be friends so that we can tell them about Jesus. Now, granted, we want to tell everyone possible about Jesus. But it's not hard to tell if the purpose of friendship is some hidden agenda or if the, person of, or if the purpose of friendship is just friendship. And sometimes we get caught into that. Tim Keller says, we talk about friendship evangelism. Let's just talk about friendship. Let's just talk about relationship. Let's just talk about loving people and building relationships. Because here's the thing. Once you begin to build a relationship and a friendship with people, the things that are most important to the people involved in the relationship will come out. But they come out organically. They come out naturally. It's not because of a hidden agenda. It's simply because this is an important part of my life. And as we build friendships with people, things that are important to them come to the surface and come out in our conversations. And things that are important to us come out in our conversations. And the building of relationships and friendships creates an atmosphere in which people are much more apt to care about what we care about because we care about what they care about. But the reality is, even if people never give us the time of day, if they never, when talking about Jesus, if they reject everything we say about Jesus, it doesn't change the fact that we remain friends. Because we didn't become friends in order to convince them of something. We just became friends because we care about them. We love them. A pastor was talking about their church wanting to get involved in a big community event. It was a parade in their town. And so some of the representatives, including the pastor of the church, went to the open meeting to plan this event. And when he said, you could tell, as soon as they walked in, the people running the meeting started getting real nervous. You could tell in the back, you could see the wheels turning of what's their agenda. Why are they here? And so they start talking about, look, this is not a time to propagate. This is not a time to hand out things. This is not about, this is just about the event. And he said, I got the feeling they were thinking that when he said that, we would all get up and leave because that was our hidden agenda. But it wasn't. We tried to help them understand we were there because we love our town. We think this is a really good event and we want to try to help them make it as successful as possible. He said the most amazing thing happened is that as, they, as the weeks went along and we planned and prepared and helped with it, and, and it was clear we had no hidden agenda, he said these folks became a lot more interested in the church. A lot more open to just who we are. And I think that's the case. 
Sometimes we have this sort of salesman mentality that our goal is to get people to sign on the line when our goal is to build relationships so people can see Jesus in us. One of the problems with with what we heard on this video is that we create a negative image, not just about the church, but ultimately about God. Because for most people, their view of God is connected to their view of the church and to the view of Christians. And it's not just, well, people are upset, negative about the church, but they can work around that. It's awfully hard for people to work around to get to God when they can't get past the people who claim to be followers of God. And we create barriers between us and them and the gospel. Now, it's just not watering down the gospel. We're not talking about you know, something that we say, well, we don't, we don't ever talk about Jesus, and we don't talk about the hard things of Jesus. We don't talk about the truth of Jesus. No, the reality is we're simply creating an atmosphere like we see Jesus doing and like we see the early church doing in which people are open to hear about Jesus. And often it's not so much what we say as how we say it. When you look at the disciples here in this fourth chapter and, and, well, the third and fourth chapters both and throughout the book of Acts, when when they're called in in front of the council, the council people, the leaders say they they were amazed at their courage. And it's courage because they're not afraid to talk about Jesus. They're all over the place talking about Jesus. But they're also, they've also stunned their critics because what can they say? Here stands this gentleman who has been crippled and now at 40 years old has been healed. How do you argue with that? How do you think negatively about people who are doing good for others selflessly? And there is something about that mindset of the attitude and the spirit in which we communicate the truth of the gospel. When Richard Mao was here, he talked about um, how we often put civility at one end of the spectrum and, and our convictions at the other end of the spectrum. And we tend to see them in some ways as mutually exclusive. And as he was talking about that, he said something that just grabbed me. He said, he asked this, this question I thought was profound. He said, Why can't civility be one of our convictions? Shouldn't civility be one of our convictions? I mean, how we treat people, shouldn't that be at the core of who we are as followers of Jesus? I mean, we've all seen it. People who are so enamored with speaking the truth that they believe they have the right to say it any way they want to, in any form they want to. And then they wonder why people reject it. And the truth of the matter is, it is a spirit of civility, which includes compassion and grace and, and mercy and love that opens doors for people to be responsive to the gospel. I've rarely seen anyone, if ever, come to Christ by being yelled at. But I've seen lots of people come to Christ through relationships and through kindness and compassion 
and mercy. I mean, I think one of the things that disturbs me the most about the way people perceive the church is that they have this negative perception of of us, and, and our calling is to be about good news. Jesus says in Luke 4, I came to preach good news. And sometimes our message feels to people like anything but good news. It feels like judgment and condemnation. It feels, quite frankly, sometimes like arrogance. We've got all the answers. We're in. You're not. Maybe you can figure out how to get in, and maybe we'll help you unlock the door. But just remember, we're in, and you're not. We've got good news. We've got the greatest thing in the world to share. I mean, I could understand people feeling negative if what we were sharing with people was hard in the sense of being, uh, you know, of, of driving them to despair, of shaming them, of, of causing them to, to you know, to uh, face judgment all the time. And I'm not saying there's not judgment in the gospel. There is. But that's God's business. Our business is to give people a chance to hear the truth of the gospel which is that Christ came to save sinners like you and me and everybody else. This is the good news of the grace of God to us. And that's what we share. Good news. Philip Yancey says, maybe one of the, one of the best tests of our love is that people want to be around us. I mean, do people want to be around us? Or do people try to find other ways, all every way in the world to avoid us? When I look at this, this story in Acts chapter 4, and I think about the ministry of Jesus through the Gospels, uh, there is this sense of attractiveness. Now granted, there are some people, obviously, who crucified Jesus and, and they hate him. But that's almost, you could almost equate those folks to the church, not the people outside the church. There is, there is a sense in how how the ministry of Jesus goes about and how, how the people, early church, do their ministry, that, that people are drawn to them. Isn't it intriguing that when they stand before the council, one of the things they say is that they took note that they'd been with Jesus? Now, granted, I think at the heart, they're saying, we recognize these guys that when Jesus was on earth, they hung around him. But I also think there's something else going on underneath that. That what they saw in Jesus, they see in these guys too. Anybody who knew Jesus and now spends time with Peter and John and the disciples are saying, they look an awful lot like Jesus. They act an awful lot like Jesus. They talk an awful lot like Jesus. I mean, what more could we want? I mean, that's... That's what we're called to be, to be like Jesus. N.T. Wright says he has, he has a friend of this day, this Jewish woman, who whenever her children babysit 
for Christian couples who are out working in the prison or, or helping with hospice or, or going to the youth center and working down there, that if people call and ask if they're home and where they are, these children, these Jewish children, invariably answer, oh, they're out being Christian. And I can't help but wonder if those, if those children keep babysitting for those couples long enough that their hearts are going to be open to Jesus about being Christian. But it starts in our hearts. It starts with us. It starts with our relationship with Jesus and being filled with the Spirit, as we see in the disciples here. It's only after they're filled with the Spirit that comes from hungering for Jesus that they become the kind of witnesses that look like Jesus. So Mother Teresa used to say, we, we gather and meditate on Jesus. And then we go out and look for him in disguise. But the going out begins with meditating on Jesus. And that's what we're about here. What we do here is not insignificant. It hopefully is preparing us to go out and be the kind of witnesses and representatives of Christ that we know we're called to be. And that's why we come to this table today, because at this table, we come face to face with grace. We come face to face with humility. We come face to face with the realization that anything good in us, any witness at all, anything in us that looks like Jesus is because of the grace of God in our lives. And the minute we forget that is the minute we start looking more like us than like Jesus. And it's because we fall short so often. It's because we haven't arrived. You know, that we're still living in that tension between what we are and what we're intended to be. It's because of that that we need to keep coming to the table. We need to keep coming together and be being reminded that we are people of grace so that we can go out and be people of grace. We've received grace. So now we can give grace. One of the most intriguing things in the world to me, confusing, and, and yeah, one of the most confusing things in the world to me is that Jesus doesn't leave us a book. Jesus doesn't write a book for us. We have the scriptures, but he doesn't write a book. What Jesus leaves is the church to be his witness. When we talk about God, the great risk taker, I can't think of any greater risk that God takes than to leave the gospel in the hands of fallible people like you and me. And to say to us, you're my representatives in the world. People are going to think about me because of you. It is one of the most sobering challenging things in the world and yet it's one of the most exciting things in the world because God's given us the privilege of being bearers of good news. He's actually given us the privilege of being of his being his representatives in this world. And sometimes people respond positively, sometimes they respond negatively. But we have this great privilege. One Christian leader said, it doesn't matter what the church thinks, what, the people, what people think about the church. 
Their perceptions of the church don't make any difference. They're sinners. They're going to hate us. Who cares what they think? I say it matters greatly how people view the church. Because how we view, how they view the church is a direct link to how they're going to view God and to whether they're going to be open or close to God. Whether they're going to be receptive or not to God. We have the privilege, the joy, of actually being a part of that process. What if, what if we were so filled with the Spirit, because we had such a hungering for God, that we actually created an atmosphere as the church, where when people... Think about the church instead of the kind of comments that we have heard a few moments ago. What if we heard comments that sounded maybe something like this? My friend Susan isn't afraid of my questions. She doesn't get defensive when I rant about God or the church. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm going to church with her this Sunday and I'm actually excited about it. I struggle with so much in life. Even though I don't always take advantage of it, I know that the one safe place I can go and find help is in the church. My Christian friends are my favorite people to be around. They don't do some of the things that I do, but they never judge me. I love talking with them about Jesus. Although we disagree about a lot of things, Joe continues to care about me. He didn't stop being my friend when I rejected his faith. When our family went through a crisis a few years ago, the church down the street got us through it. I have a friend who's a Christian. No one is a more compassionate listener than he is. I wish I would have known earlier that not all Christians are such jerks. I had no idea. Maybe I would have believed in Jesus earlier. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the joy and the privilege of representing you in the world. Forgive us for the times when we have fallen short of this calling, for the times when, when we have contributed to some of the negative images of your church and subsequently you. We pray that you will remind us that all that we are and all that we have and everything that is good in us is because of your grace to us. We pray that you will continue to deepen our hunger for you, that we might be more filled with your spirit and thus represent you in more positive ways. Speaking the truth, the spirit of civility and grace and compassion and love. Father, as we come to this table today, we are reminded, we come face to face with the reality of your grace. We pray that you would pour out the abundance of your blessing on the bread and the cup 
that as we eat and drink, it will be food for our souls. And that we will once again sense your grace at work in us that we desperately need. We pray all of this through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.